listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. If we haven't met yet, my name is Lauren, and I am very excited to be here with you tonight as we continue our series called Living the Dream. Uh, This is a series all about Joseph, and Ryan kicked us off last week, and he uh, told us about the story of Joseph, and just a quick recap, uh, Joseph was one of many brothers, and he was his son, his dad's favorite, and his brothers hated him. Uh, Joseph had a dream one time that his brothers were going to bow down to him. They saw that as a threat. They did not want that to ever be the case. So they decided they were going to kill Joseph. Last minute, they changed their mind and instead they sold him into slavery, but told their dad that Joseph had died. Uh, So Joseph gets sold into slavery and ends up in Egypt. And Ryan left us with this idea that sometimes your setbacks can become your setups. Uh, Joseph had a pretty, um, to say the least, major setback, being hated by his brothers and being sold into slavery, but ultimately God wanted him to get to Egypt, and that is where God took him. So that's where we're going to pick up, and we are actually just going to dive right in because there's a lot of scripture tonight. So I will have it on the screen behind me. Uh, I'm going to read from this little book right here. And if you have your Bible with you, I would recommend that you just follow along because like I said, it's... It's a good chunk of scripture, um, and it's a full story that we're going to read. So we're going to be in Genesis 39, starting in verse 1. And if you have your phone, and if you're a better person than me, you could use version. I feel like when someone says, like, oh, pull out your phone and go to the Bible app, within five seconds I'm on heyday. So I'm just not, I'm not very focused (laughs) when it comes to that, but y'all are probably better than me. So do what you want to do. If you want to read it on the screen, it will be back here too, but... We are in Genesis 39, verse 1. Here we go. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Joseph sold into slavery, bought by Potiphar, uh, who was one of Pharaoh's officials. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph becomes Potiphar's attendant. And as you read the story, you're thinking, wow, Joseph's life is turning around. The Lord is still with him. He is prospering. He's a pretty big deal now. But then it goes on. And it says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. Thank you for the detail, scripture. And after a while, his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. So we're going to pause right there for a second. First and foremost, uh, sleeping with someone who is married is a big no. Just feel like I want to say that real quick before we move on. But second, I'm all for shooting your shot. Okay? Not if you're married, 
or to someone who's married. But if you're like, hey, I have this crush on this girl who's single. Hey, I have this crush on this guy who's single, and you are also single, and you want to shoot your shot, I can tell you what not to say, and that's come to bed with me, okay? <laughs> it's not going to go well. Maybe start with, like, how are you? Do you like nachos? Um, do you watch The Office? Literally anything else but this. So that's all I have tonight. Y'all are free to go to Smogger. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, she said that. But he refused. This is Joseph. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph every day after, every, no, sorry. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. Again, do you watch Parks and Rec? There's so many other things we could, oh, never mind. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master, Potiphar, came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me? He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So that's where we're going to stop for tonight. Um, what stands out to me about this story is Joseph's integrity, his desire to do what's right, his pursuit of doing what's right. He just wanted so badly to do the right thing, to not sin against God. And why this story is important is because God gave Joseph a dream. God had purpose for Joseph's life. God wanted to take Joseph somewhere. And the same is true for you. God has a plan for you, a unique plan for you. God wants to take you somewhere. God has purpose for your life. And nothing will derail what God wants to do in you and through you faster than sin. Not that God can't redeem anything, because he can, and he will. He can use your mistakes for good. But temptation and sin, they cause unnecessary obstacles. They cause unnecessary pain. They cause hurdles that you now have to jump over to get to where you want to go. And worst case, they can hold you back from reaching your full potential. Sin can single-handedly hold you back from the dream that you were so hoping to see to fruition. And so tonight, I just wanted to look at the story of Joseph, to look at how he behaved, how he carried himself, because I think through this story, through what he did, we can learn how to fight temptation and fight it well. So there's three things Joseph did that I want to talk about. And the first thing is that he had the right perspective. 
Joseph had the right perspective because think about it. He could have justified this sin so easily. He could have justified it. He could have uh, had all these reasons why it was okay for him to sleep with his boss's wife. He could have said, it's just one time. No one will know. It's not that big of a deal. He could have gotten really crazy, brought some pride issues into it and said, you know what, God? You kind of put me through the ringer with the whole like brother's trying to kill me thing, sold me into slavery. So you owe me. It's just one time. And haven't we all justified sin like that before? It's just one time. No one will know. It's not a big deal. God, you owe me. Or even we go so far to say, well, there's something that I really, really want. And even though this is bad for me, it might get me there faster because God's not getting me there. So I'll just take matters into my own hands. And even though this isn't great, it's fine because it will get me somewhere faster than I would if I didn't do this. And I think his perspective was so great and unique and right because he was looking through it through two lenses. And the first is gratitude. He had gratitude. In verse uh, 8 and 9, he says, like, how could I, why would I do such a wicked thing against God? Why would I sin against God? Look at all that Potiphar has entrusted me with. Look at all that God has done. Why would I do that? Why would I ruin it? And you see, looking through the lens of gratitude is so helpful because gratitude keeps us from focusing on what we don't have or what we can't have right now. Because gratitude keeps us focused on the present and what we do have. And that's what Joseph was doing, was look at what God has given me now. Look at all that God has entrusted with me right now. Why would I ever want to ruin that? So he had gratitude and he also had faith. He believed that what God was doing for him, what God was going to do for him, is better than any momentary satisfaction he might find. What God had in store for him, God's ultimate plan, even though he may not know what that plan is tomorrow, he may not know what that plan is next year, he had such strong faith and believed so strongly that whatever it was, it's going to be better than the temptation he's facing right now. And so Joseph had great perspective. He had the right perspective. The second thing Joseph had was he was proactive. Joseph was proactive with his guardrails. Now, Potiphar's wife comes to him and says, hey, come to bed with me. And he's like, whoa, no. I'm just trying to like clean the floors right now. But She expressed this, that she wanted that, and so he put guardrails in place, and scripture says he didn't go around her. He avoided her. He, uh, if she was in a room, just her, he went the other way. He wasn't ever around her without someone else there, because at the end of the day, he's human, and he didn't want to put himself in a situation where he might fall for the temptation. He refused to flirt with disaster. And so he put up guardrails so that he couldn't do that. Now, if we're being really honest with ourselves, haven't we flirted with disaster before? Haven't we tried to see how close we could get? Because if we want to get really honest, sometimes it's fun. There's some adrenaline there. There's some interest there. Maybe there's someone in your life who you're interested in who you know it would just be bad. It would be toxic. 
It's not for you right now or ever. But you still find excuses to see them. You find excuses to reach out to them. Maybe there's a friend that every time you leave, you just feel horrible. But they hang out with someone that you like, so you just put yourself in this situation again and again and again, even though it's dangerous for you and your mental health. We flirt with disaster, and that was something that Joseph refused to do. And so to avoid that, he put up some guardrails. And he said to himself, I'm not going to allow myself to be in a room with her alone. I'm not going to allow myself to be around her or to even just entertain the idea with her. I'm not going to do that. And I think being proactive is where we usually um, miss out on fighting temptation sooner. And I don't know what that is for you. I don't know what the temptation is for you right now exactly. But if you look at the temptation and you think, okay, if I take a few steps back, There's choices that I'm making leading up to the temptation that I could choose something differently and I wouldn't be so close to it. I wouldn't be flirting with disaster. Maybe for you, it's your phone or your computer at night. It's in your room, you're by yourself, you end up on sites you don't wanna be on. So if you look at that problem, if you look at that temptation, you take a few steps back, well, that looks like turning off your electronics but maybe that's not enough. Maybe they need to be in your living room, but maybe you know yourself better. Maybe that's not enough. Maybe you need to have a really honest conversation with your roommate and those things need to stay in their room at night. But you take a few steps back and you figure out where can I be proactive in this? Where can I put some guardrails? Or maybe for you, it's also your phone, but it's just comparison. You stay up late on Instagram and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you're scrolling and you feel so horrible afterwards. How do we, what do we do? Well, you look at that temptation, you take a few steps back and you think, well, I could, I could put up some guardrails with screen time. I could have my phone literally kick me out of Instagram at a certain time of night so I don't get caught up in that, so I don't lose sleep over that, so I don't feel horrible before I go to bed or first thing in the morning. We backtrack a little bit and we figure out where are the guardrails that I need so that I don't flirt with disaster. The third thing Joseph did is he predecided. And this kind of goes hand in hand with being proactive. He predecided that he wasn't going to sin against God. He wasn't going to do it. And for him, that meant I'm not going to sleep with a married woman. I'm not going to sin against God in that way. And so he had made that decision long ago. And we notice that, we can see it, because when she grabs his cloak, what does he do? He bolts. He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't think, well, maybe just see where this goes. He gets out of there as fast as he can. And this is kind of a silly example, but it's true. We haven't consciously made this decision, but I I feel like it's safe to say that if uh, any of us were being chased by a lion, we have pre-decided that we're going to run. We're not going to wait until the moment to decide. We're not going to think, oh, man, this is happening. Shoot. Oh, gosh, I should have thought about this. It's it's too late. We got to run. We got to get out of there. And we've made that decision probably since we were like two, that if we're being chased by an animal, we're running the opposite way. But we don't wait until that moment to decide. And that's what Joseph did. 
He made this decision long ago, and you can see it in his integrity. From the very first encounter, it's a no. Second encounter, it's a no. Third encounter, he's out of there. He had pre-decided that this was not, this was something he was not going to do. And because he had made that decision so long ago, it was easier to stay true to it. I mean, if you and your significant other haven't talked yet about your own morals when it comes to sex, it's probably not the best idea to have that conversation when y'all are making out. It might be a little too late. Or if you know that finances are tight, but you refuse to look at your checking account, it may not be the best decision to make a huge purchase when it's already in your shopping cart. And you're already feeling the excitement and the adrenaline, it might be too late. There's things in our lives where we need to decide on this before we even get into the temptation. We're already flirting with a disaster, and then if we go further and then decide, hey, that's when I'll make that decision, that's when I'll make that call, I can tell you what the decision's gonna be. It's like when you go to a party and someone hands you a beer, and you think, oh, this was when I was gonna decide if I was gonna drink or not. But everyone around you is drinking, they're pressuring you to do it, you're probably gonna choose to drink, even if you decided if you thought, I, I may not, I don't know, but you didn't make that decision yet. You waited until the moment, and then you made a decision that you may not have made a few hours ago. It's just human nature. It's nothing bad. It's just how we're wired. But we have to be consistent with taking the time to think through these things for us personally. What does this mean for me personally? Where, what are my morals on this? What are my values on this? And if that moment comes, what am I going to decide? And the way we do that is we spend time with the Lord. We're reminded of who he says we are. We're reminded of the life that we want, the, the dreams that we have and the purpose that he has for our life. When we can remind ourselves of that all the time, it's easier to be consistent with those decisions. It's easier to build the character that it takes to make those calls and to stick to them. But in the moment, the first thing that you think of may not be, wow, is this gonna interfere with God's plan? Is this gonna hold me back? Is this gonna cause unnecessary pain? That's not what we're thinking. It's too late. But if we can make that call beforehand, if we can think those things through beforehand, it will be easier in the moment. Does that make sense? I know there's proactive and pre-decision kind of go hand in hand, but pre-decision is the choice you make a while ago, and then being proactive is the guardrails you set up for that specific temptation. And that's what Joseph did. Now, if you remember the end of the story, um, Joseph ended up in jail. And so how do we reconcile with that? Because Joseph did the right thing. He showed integrity, but he still ended up in jail. And while to be totally fair, we don't know what the outcome would have been if he did sleep with Potiphar's wife. This is 100% me just assuming, but I could see it being a death sentence for him. But we don't know for sure. But regardless, he ended up in prison, and that's probably not the outcome he was hoping for. That's not what he wanted, but yet he did the right thing. And I think from that, we see that obedience is more important than the outcome. Our obedience is more important. Doing what's right isn't going to end every time how you think it should end. Doing what's right isn't going to get you what you think you deserve. 
That's just life. It's just not going to be that way. But being proactive, pre-deciding, having the right perspective, looking through gratitude and faith and holding on to God's purpose for your life and the plan that he has for you and doing what's right out of that will keep you in the center of God's will. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we all want. So next week we have the really fun event. The week after, we're going to pick this back up, and that's actually what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about obedience um, through the life of Joseph and what that means for us. But I I try to keep tonight a little short because um, this topic is, like, kind of (laughs) heavy, if you couldn't tell by the vibe in the tent. Uh, And it's so personal. It's so unique. And I'm not going to stand up here and assume that I can name every temptation that everyone in here has been facing or will face one day. That's just impossible. Uh, It's so personal to you. And uh, I just... I really want you to spend time with your small group talking about this. And my other hope um, is that you're honest with your small group. You can be a little vulnerable. Maybe you're not comfortable with saying what you're facing or what you're dealing with to everyone in the group, but maybe you could pull a leader aside or one person aside. I just challenge you to bring whatever it is you're facing to the light and not out of guilt or shame. Please, oh my gosh, please hear me say that. That is not the purpose. That's not what I want. That's not what God wants for you to feel guilt or shame. But because when we can bring things into the light, then we can have accountability. And although we don't see that Joseph had that privilege to have accountability, we do have that opportunity. And I think having accountability when it comes to temptation is one of the most important things we can have. So when you share tonight, when we ask these questions in small group, I just really encourage y'all to be honest and to say what you're dealing with, to say what you're feeling. I um, just finished a book by Jenny Allen called Get Out of Your Head. It's a really great book, but she has a chapter in there on vulnerability. And one of the things she says is when it comes to vulnerability, we typically hold back the, the last 2%. Um, When we're being vulnerable with someone, we tell them 98% of the story. But there's this 2% that we think, well, if I share this, that would be the straw that broke the camel's back. That would be the part that they would think, oh, I can't be associated with them. I can't believe they just said that. That would be the part where they might start to judge me. And so we hold back the 2%. And what happens is that small little piece of information that feels so heavy to us grows in power. And as it's held in the dark, it just it, it, it grows in weight and intensity and it gets heavier and heavier to bear. And so her challenge and my challenge for you tonight is to share that 2%. To go to your group, to go to someone in your group, maybe it's not even in your group time, but it's the person you rode here with tonight. Or like I said, maybe you're calling a leader later this week or just someone in your group and you're just bringing someone in so that you can have the accountability, so they can help you and love you through it. And so that at the end of the day, you remember God's purpose for you, that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life and I don't want sin to get in the way of that for you. 
And so I hope that you bring 100% to someone this week.